Hey, I'm Ethan. And I'm Isaac. And this is All Things Video, a podcast that covers everything you need to know about leveraging video content for your business. Join us as we discuss the latest tools, trends, and tactics in video marketing. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. On today's episode of the All Things Video podcast, you are going to be able to watch and listen to the three keynote presentations that we had recently at the Digital Drip event in April. Uh, Gary Morris, AJ Morris, and Nick Pydak all provided a ton of value in these talks. Each one's about 15 to 20 minutes. I think you guys are going to enjoy them. So let's go ahead and jump into the video. All right. Before I announce the first speaker, um, just really quickly want to give an intro to who, who I am, who Sleekfire is. So I'm Ethan Painter. Um, I started Sleekfire about 10 years ago. Uh, Sleekfire is a video production company, and uh, we are on a mission to help businesses grow through creating video content that um, captures the attention of new customers and invites them into a story. So um, started it on my own about 10 years ago. It's grown into a team of four very passionate and talented people that I'm really thankful for. Um, and before I, one more thing before I uh, intro um, Gary, uh, just want to just want to talk really briefly about uh, why you guys should be interested in marketing. Why does marketing matter? You're at an event like this. Why are you you know using up your valuable time to come to a place like this? Um, I think when effective marketing is implemented into a business's strategy, it does two things. Uh, firstly, and this one's somewhat obvious, it raises your revenue. Right, it makes you more money. I haven't met a single person who doesn't want more money for their business or for them personally. Um, but I think secondly and more importantly, when you implement good quality marketing that's effective, you're actually making the world a better place to live in. You're solving problems for people. And when you have that view, for, uh, that view of your marketing, uh, it makes it a lot less about making money and a lot more about helping people and serving people. Um, by offering the product or the service that you guys have all created. Um, just about everyone in this room, I think, is either an entrepreneur or works for an entrepreneur. And you guys all have great products and services to offer the world. And so that's what makes me excited about marketing, and that's why I'm excited to be hosting this event. So I'll go ahead and intro the first speaker here. The first speaker is uh, Gary Morris. Um, Gary Morris is a good friend of mine. Known him for a number of years now. Uh, Gary has a really unique way of thinking about marketing in a way unlike anyone else that I've ever met. Uh, he has a unique way of changing your perspective and forcing you to look at problems from new angles to find creative solutions. He's got 20 plus years of experience in the marketing industry and I'm confident his talk tonight will be thought-provoking and beneficial to you. His talk is titled Target Market Mastery, The Ultimate Strategy for Increasing Your Sales and Dominating Your Market. So without further ado, let's give a round of applause for our first speaker, Gary Morris. So, so I named the talk before I realized I only had 20 minutes. So just the title takes up like 10. Um, just show of hands, show of hands, how many people here own a business? Okay, and how many people are in marketing, maybe at a business? Okay, great. Um, yeah, so lots, lots to jam in 20 minutes. So I may talk a little quick. Um, we'll have a little Q&A at the section, but um, 
the big thing, there's, there's a lot of different areas that you can tackle when you're dealing with business owners and how to grow their business. There's, there's multiple different ways, strategies, methodologies. One of the most impactful ones, and I've worked with Fortune 100 companies, I've worked with small, privately funded companies, we've won awards um, doing different marketing campaigns, and one strategy that outlasts them all is for you to start thinking about one single target market at a time. So the very first thing for you to, if you're stuck in your business or if you've been running your business a long time, or maybe you've heard this concept before, um, but it's, it's the foundation for really just getting your brain moving in the right direction. So again, the concept is to think through and pick and begin to market to one single target market at a time. One single target market at a time. Two caveats to this that I have to preface this with. That doesn't mean stop broad marketing. So whatever you're doing that's broad, out front, that doesn't, like, if you sell dog food to every dog, doesn't mean change your homepage to now go, I only sell dog food to German shepherds. So just keep that broad marketing going. But this is a caveat to this. This is a marketing campaign that's really like concentrated, that maybe isn't like public facing, but everybody that's in that target market is going to come across it. They're going to see that segmented campaign that you're going to launch. So that's another thing. Begin to think of things in segmentations, like little concentrated efforts of, of marketing. So, so that's the first thing. Keep broad marketing. So when I say pick a single target market at a time. Everybody says, well, I sell to everyone. It's really expensive to sell to everyone. Um, I worked at a marketing company for 14 years. One of our bigger clients was Pepsi. And we would run logistical operations for their marketing campaigns. They can afford to run a marketing campaign for $5 million in Oakland County and not need to see a single dollar back. They, they could care less. I, I, well, they could care, but for the most part, they, they don't. And there's good reasons behind that because they have brand recognition. But most small companies, medium-sized companies, can't afford just to waste money. And so that's why I want you to begin to think of this in a concentrated effort. The second thing is everybody says that my business is different. So this is one thing that I come across probably 75% of the time when I'm sitting down with a business owner and we're thinking about how to execute on a single target market, they all say, well, my business is different and I sell to everyone. Again, you really can't afford to sell to everyone. So that's another reason why to concentrate those efforts. So those are the two caveats to this. I want you to start to think about how do we pick a single target market at a time? Also understanding that doesn't mean stop broad marketing and your business isn't different. This works, this literally works for every business. And so uh, it may take some time. I've, I've had clients that I've had for years where we've just launched campaign after campaign only for the owner at some point to go, ah, now I get it. And those are the magic words. And Ethan, I know like last lunch we had, you had a similar response to that. It was, it was good. And those, those are the moments I live for is when I hear a business owner go, ah, now I see. And so in 20 minutes, you may not see this, but after you just kind of concentrate, think about this over and over again, there's a lot of different ways to go about it. So let's talk about marketing campaigns. So one effective marketing campaign, I don't know if anybody knows who Dan Kennedy is. Um, he has what's called the marketing triangle. 
and basically all three aspects have to work for an effective marketing campaign. One is that you pick an audience. Two is that you pick an offer. And three is that you pick a delivery mechanism to take that offer to that audience. So all three of those have to work. So right now, if you're launching a marketing campaign and it's not working, I want you to begin to ask, maybe it's the wrong audience, maybe it's the wrong offer, and maybe it's the wrong delivery mechanism. It's got to be one of those three things. And you can adjust any one of those three things to find out which one is broke. Typically, it's the audience, sometimes the offer, and sometimes the delivery mechanism, but usually the audience. So, um, so let's, let's talk about that. Pick an audience. That can be geographical. That could be, you know, it could be a, a demographic. It could be a psychographic way of thinking about your buyers. It could be looking at your highest grossing product, your number one age group for your buyers. It could be, um, it could be, it's really endless when it comes to picking the right audience. But you have to start by going, for this next marketing campaign that we're going to launch in 2023, we have our broad marketing, we have our social media marketing, we have whatever is going on on this sector. But over here in the corner, we have this segmented audience that we're going to pick and we're going to directly begin to pursue them. And some magic really begins to happen. So, um, so you, start with, you start with picking the right audience. And you're going to have to decide who that is. The next part of that is you want to pick the right offer. What are you going to offer them? And so one illustration I use is, you know, imagine, you know, you're, you're Dr. Doolittle and you can speak to animals and you go into a zoo and you have food and it's just like grain. And you call out to all the animals and you say, hey, I have this great food. And you just kind of spread it out on the ground. Some animals are going to come, but there are other animals that just aren't. They're not interested. You know, you got like a, a zebra who looks at the grain and he's not going to move. And you have penguins, they're like, no. And then you have different animals that can't even get out of whatever contraption they're in. They, so they're stuck. They're not even interested if they could. That's, that's what most broad marketing is like. You're just spreading food and you're saying, we offer the service for everyone. Versus... Let's say you see that there's a Clydesdale horse, a Midwestern Clydesdale horse that loves Kansas City sweet corn. And you take that to that Clydesdale horse and you just wave it in the air. And that Clydesdale horse will come running from a long distance to eat that corn. And that's the difference when you match the audience with the offer. Versus generality. See, when you don't have a target, you have to function in generalities. You have to say, we offer this service to everyone. We offer this thing to everyone. But when you get really hyper-specific, then your offer can match the audience. And then you can match what that audience likes and how to position it in a correct way. So that'll bring us to the third thing, which is the delivery mechanism. So unless you know your audience and you know your offer, you have no idea how do I deliver it to it? How do I deliver this service to it? So let's say, for instance, uh, you want to make offers and you want to position your, your brand on TikTok, but your audience is 55 and over. That's a mismatch of having maybe, maybe you have the best offer in the world. It's irresistible. And you have the right target because they're the ones that are buying your service, but now you've messed up on the delivery mechanism. It's the wrong delivery mechanism. 
And so that's why it's important to kind of gauge all three of these points. So you have to begin to think about this is our target, this is our offer, and then this is our delivery mechanism. But you have to start with picking a single target market at a time. Again, what I'm suggesting here is one single target market at a time. And the beauty of this is as you begin to kind of work, that, work all that out, you work out like what's the delivery mechanism, who the target is, what the offer is, you're going to kind of mess up. You're going to kind of do some research and figure out, okay, maybe it was the wrong target. No, the target audience was right, but the offer, it just wasn't very irresistible. I wouldn't react to that. So then you tweak the offer, and then, then you look for different mechanisms to deliver it. Well, now you've created a whole system, and you've kind of created a whole infrastructure for now going to the next single target market. And then you can replicate this whole process over and over again. And one of the beautiful parts of this is when you do this correctly, your competitors don't even know what you're doing. They don't even know it exists. So I'll give you, I'll give you a few examples. Um, 20 minutes goes quick. So a couple examples would be, uh, like I'll think of some very generic. Uh, so one client sold wedding dresses, right? That's, that, I mean... That's every, that's every woman that's getting married is going to buy a wedding dress. So you don't want to change your website to be like, we sell wedding dresses to women who are getting married. Um, but what we did was we looked at, from a geographical perspective, where were most of them coming from? What, what zip code were they coming from? So we began to do some research. We found out the zip code. It was a large concentration, and it didn't really make sense until we did a little bit more research, and we found out there was a small, like, um, uh, private Christian college in that zip code. And so that was generating like 20-something percent of their sales. So what do you do in that situation? You begin to create an offer for that audience that it, nobody publicly knows. The competitor wedding dress companies don't even know. But now you're sending different promotions to that audience that's attracting those potential buyers. Um, another one, uh, let's see, uh, there's a carpet cleaning company in Kansas City. Uh, when... When COVID hit, they had an issue with staffing, like most people. And so what we had to do is look at what had the highest profit margins but required the least amount of training. And one of the services that they provided was pet urine cleanup and removal. And so one of the questions you can ask yourself as you're thinking through target markets is who's already got my clients? Who's already paid to acquire my clients? This is a Jay Abraham thing. Um, but who's already acquired my clients? They've already paid, but they don't offer what I offer. And so we began to look at different ways to target that. One clear example, it doesn't take rocket science, was veterinarian clinics, right? Um, and pet adoption agencies. So they're in Kansas City. So what we did was we launched a campaign where they went to all of those types of businesses and said, can we offer a kiosk where we're going to offer our first, you know, urine pet removal for free? to your customers, we'll give you a piece of every additional uh, sale that we make as a lead through your service, and we'll come and clean your company once every quarter. So obviously that was very attractive, the right offer, and that campaign has continued to go now two, three years later, very profitable. The competitors don't even know it exists. They have no clue. Um, I'll give you one more. This is one that didn't work, but this just helps you kind of think about the framework in place. Uh, there's a um, financial advisory uh, business that have multiple locations, and we were doing the same thing, looking through uh, segmentations of their audience, 
who is bringing in most of the business or what sec sectors do they want to grow. And they had noticed that there was a, a, a growing number that were coming from an energy company. I'll be very generic in some of the language here, but an energy company. And uh, so that was our target. And what's beautiful about that is they're all kind of under the same, like, wall because they're at an energy company so you can really get creative when you start to look at this in this way um so one thing i did was i just went to google earth and i began to kind of look around to see like what was in the surrounding area there were some billboards i was like oh that's kind of nice so we started with an offer to get you, you want invisible leads to become visible so you need to think about how do i get people to raise their hand to see if they'd be interested so the concept we rolled out was how to retire from an energy company um, I don't, you know, uh, wealthy or something or uh, with great retirement. Um, I'm trying to be as generic as I can here. Um, so that was the free book. And all that was going to do was get them to raise their hands and say, I'm interested. And then it, it was then their job to nurture that lead and to convert that lead. Well, while I was doing a Google Earth, I noticed that there was a bus stop uh, down the road and it had a bench. And then I just kind of followed Google Earth and I noticed there was two municipal bus stops right in front of the front door to this company where you can rent billboards. And so what we were trying to do was rent those two benches to put a billboard that says how to retire from your energy company, free ebook, and put it up. They ended up not letting, it, letting us do it, but you can imagine had we been able to do that, we did do some other campaigns that were fun, but we could have those billboards up and the two municipal benches that walk, they walk into the door, rent, rent those billboards on those two little benches, and every employee would see it, and it would work for years. We've had campaigns that have ran for years that nobody even knows exist. And so you can think about, as you begin to think about segmentation, you can think about like trade magazines, right? Like, what do they subscribe to, right? So like, uh, so I've done, consulting for a number of years, and I'll just kind of end on this. Uh, we recently started in January business brokering, so this is a side company. Um, so one of the things that I'm doing that I'm bringing to that industry is I'm picking a niche audience. And then we're getting ads in that niche audience trade magazines that says, hey, how to sell your business for three times its worth in the next five years. Here's the free book, you go here, and then they put their hand up, we know they're interested, then we nurture, and then we do that whole thing for the next industry, the next industry, the next industry. So that in a nutshell is target market mastery. There's a lot more to cover, but uh, I think that gets the highlights and I hope that stimulates some, uh, some ways to think about it. So thanks. We're going to do a Q&A at the end, but just one quick question I have for you. Uh, I think there's a fair amount of people here who are either solopreneurs or just getting started with a business, and this might sound really complicated. So um, what are maybe one or two just really quick tactical things that people can do to get started with this? Um, just at a, a basic level for someone who's doing you know, a $50,000 a year, $100,000 a year business just starting out. Yeah, so that's the beauty of this actually is um, when you pick a single target market, you can then decide how big you want that market to be, right? So you can then go, okay, we only are go I only have $100, right? So then you figure out who's the target. And then you're, you're spending that $100 to go, okay, that target may only be 20 people, you know? And so, yeah, that's, that's uh, so I would say think of, think of that target in a way to con 
consolidate your time, energy, and effort because it's so broad when you're starting out. You want to market to everyone, but it's so, it's so difficult. It's so difficult. And so this is a way to consolidate your time, effort, energy, and money to go, okay, I'm just going to pick as a, let's, let's use real estate as an example. So I'll have realtors pick a neighborhood or a lake. And I'll say, that's your lake. I want you to create a domain around that lake name. And I want you to do a mailer to everybody, everybody on that lake that says, uh, basically it's like, um, you know, what every house on this lake has sold for over the past three years. We have a free guide. We're going to send it to you. And that way you're not coming in as the typical realtor that's, you know, putting their face as their number one marketing component. Instead, you're, you're looking over the shoulder of the potential seller and you're trying to get in front of them before they make their decision, which is where you want to be. And then that way it's just a small, you know, it could be 50 people on that lake, but you own that lake. So pick, pick a segmentation that you want to own. So, yeah, yeah. Awesome. One more hand for Gary. Appreciate it. All right, our second speaker is uh, A.J. Morris. I know what you guys might be thinking, and no, Gary Morris and A.J. Morris are not related. Um, just happen to have the same last name. So I've known A.J. for quite a few years now as well. His experience is vast. He's worked on projects for... A lot of large companies, um, Amazon, Square, Domino's Pizza, Twitter, Audible, Apple, just to name a few. Uh, he's currently the senior product leader for BitLift Cybersecurity, located just a few blocks down the road. Uh, their team is helping companies illuminate and eliminate cybersecurity threats. AJ's passionate about technology and leveraging it to save time. Tonight he's going to be talking about ChatGPT and how you can leverage artificial intelligence in your marketing efforts. So give it up for AJ Morris. Thank you. All right. So I actually asked uh, Ethan, well, Ethan asked me if we'd have a, some sort of a um, like live demo, um, but we don't. So uh, if you all want to pull out your phones really quick, uh, I'm going to leave you with something. You, can, you don't have to look at it right now, but um, you're going to want what I have uh, to give you. So. Uh, open up your favorite browser, go to AJ Morris, just like how you would expect to spell it, dot US forward slash drip hyphen chat GPT. Can somebody tell me if that's correct? Perfect. Did it work? Thanks, Dan. All right, so it worked, uh, and you're going to look at my slides. Uh, these slides were actually developed with ChatGPT, so um, I figured, you know, let's let's ask it to do a presentation on itself. So, um, pretty pretty good uh, uh, example. Um, I actually have a, an extension that um, I have a friend that wrote uh, that took the content from ChatGPT and actually stuck it into uh, Google Slides. So, what you are seeing in Google Slides is actually what ChatGPT outputted. So. Um, Kind of cool, um, with the exception of the last three slides, which are mine. So um, before we get into ChatGPT, though, I thought, hey, let's actually talk about what is AI. Um, has anybody played with AI yet? OK, about half the room. All right, so AI is like this super cool like uh, human uh, robot. 
um, you can talk with it, you can um, communicate with it. Uh, if you've ever seen the Will Smith um, uh, AI movie, right, it's, it's not that. Um, but there are some laws that we should probably start to think about uh, implementing uh, as, as we do. So um, that's, that's what it is. You can have it tell a joke. Um, it even says, hey, I even tell jokes uh, on my slides if you want to get a joke of the day. Um, my team over at, at BitLift, actually, we uh, talked about it on Friday and said, hey, let's, let's have it depart some uh, words of wisdom for us. And uh, it came up with um, a quote that said, uh, I'm, I'm doing it from memory because I did not put it in the slides, um, you get what you get and you don't throw a fit. So that, that was the words of wisdom on Friday uh, for us, um, which I tell my kids all the time, but hey. <laughs> um, all right, so I, the, the cool thing about uh, using AI is that it's, it's like your own intern, right? You're not going to have um, them call in sick. They're not going to have to take bathroom breaks. Best of all, they're not going to go and steal your lunch out of the fridge uh, or your drink out of the fridge, right? They're, they're not going to do any of that. So. Um, ChatGPT is actually a layer on top of AI. So uh, ChatGPT is specifically built um, from a company called OpenAI. Uh, they're, they're probably one of the leading uh, forefronts in um, text-based AI. Uh, I'm going to throw a really large um, uh, term here. It's, it's LLM, but it stands for Large Language Model. Uh, what that is is, is essentially uh, OpenAI says, hey, we're going to have uh, an AI tool start to learn all this language. And so it just dumps large amounts of text, like thousands upon thousands of text. Uh, so much text that, that ChatGPT, or, or the underlying uh, large language model, could actually write a um, novel for you. Um, in fact, I think in December when uh, ChatGPT was launched, um, I, I think I counted uh, 5,420 uh, novels had been entered into the Amazon uh, marketplace that were all written with ChatGPT. So lots, lots of things that can go on there. Um, now, when you're looking at ChatGPT itself, you're going to have um, a data set that is September 2021. So it's not, it's not all the way up to date, right? It's, it's cut off. Um, I should also note that it's also cut off by the internet. It does not connect to the internet. You can't say, hey, give me this URL and summarize this. It's not going to understand because it doesn't go out there yet. I'm going to say yet because in a few minutes I might blow your mind, hopefully. Um, all right, so what does ChatGPT or AI have to do with marketing? Um, how many people would consider themselves a creator or a creative mindset? Um, you can come up with ideas um, pretty well on the fly, okay? All right, a few of you. I am not that. I'm an operations guy. I, I look at numbers and cents, uh, dollars and cents, and, and I figure out how to, how to optimize for that, right? Um, my uh, several people would, oh, I got, I got the death stare. This is great. <laughs> I, I point at Jason. Jason's my, uh, our CEO over here at BitLift. Um, but he, he knows, right? I look at dollars and cents, and I'm always analyzing dollars and cents. But what that makes me is not a, not a creative person. I don't use my, what is it, the, the right brain or left brain. I, I use one half of my brain for the, the analytical side, right? And I look at how do I optimize it. 
What ChatGPT, though, can give me is that, that creative side. If I start to give it a lot of data and I train it, it can take that creative side and, and supply me with creative material. Um, I'm going to generalize some things as much as I can here. Um, I took a recent um, LinkedIn ad campaign that we wanted to uh, run. Um, said, hey, let's, let's feed ChatGPT a bunch of, of information about us, about our target audience, about the offer that we want to do. I actually fed it 20-some uh, pages of an ebook, which was our offer, um, so that it could learn all about what we had written internally. Um, and it generated uh, 15 different call to actions, um, what I would consider a call to action being a headline and a subheadline for a LinkedIn ad. In a week, uh, those ads um, for under $200 generated 2,500 impressions. Uh, people are clicking through those ads really great. So what I could, I could say, at least for that little part of this campaign, is that, that ChatGPT, when you feed it good information, you're going to get some pretty good ad uh, copy out of it. Um, that large language model also has all the, the copywriting frameworks uh, known to memory. So how many people have known StoryBrand or know of StoryBrand Donald Miller? Okay, several, half of the room. Uh, how many people know uh, PSA? Problem, solution, agitate. Okay, um, so it knows those. It knows, um, I always forget it, but it's AIDA. Um, so that's, that's another framework. Um, you can pretty much ask it to go in and write a landing page and give it whatever marketing framework you want, and it's going to go and fill out that landing page. Now, uh, how many people actually played with ChatGPT? All right, so how many people went and just asked it a question like, write me a 500-word blog post about X? Okay, a few of you. Did you, get what you. did you like what you got? It was okay? Yeah? Not the first try? Okay. I've seen some things where like, it doesn't know how to do math at times, and um, like any good intern, it, it struggles. Um, but you train it. Uh, the more you train it, the better it's going to be. Um, trying to remember where I'm at in my slides. So let me go back to the um, few things that I want to talk about. And, and feel free to look at this. I'm just trying to, to skim over this and give you some opportunity to ask questions. Um, there's a couple of things that I think that are important when you're using uh, any AI, whether it's ChatGPT or um, Google's new one called BARD. Um, I think there's another one out there that um, just got released around the same time as BARD, but um, is, is around data privacy and security. So um, how many people are familiar with GDPR or CCPA? The people I expect, awesome. Uh, we deal with a lot, uh, so we know it uh, pretty well. Um, you want to be mindful of just making sure like you're not feeding ChatGPT or any AI um, large language model. You don't want to feed it your customer data. Like I'm not going to go and say, hey, here's all this stuff about my customer because it's sensitive data um, that you don't want. You, you don't know where that's going to go. You don't know if they're saving it. You just want to be mindful of it. Um, the other thing I want to just mention about it is, um, especially if you're looking at using any type of AI to um, communicate with your customers, 
just be upfront about it, be honest. Just let them know like, hey, you're talking to a bot. You're not actually talking to a real person, even though it's gonna get insanely good. Um, right now we're actually training um, a bot to know all of our support articles so that when a um, customer comes in and starts to chat with it, it's going to be able to, to have a conversation based off of support articles. Um, again, as you train it, you, you get you, you reap what you sow, so to speak, right? And so you give it good stuff, you're gonna, you're gonna get good things back. Um, a few best practices with, with ChatGPT that I would uh, just look at and, and recommend is, um, even though GPT-4 is the most updated model, that's the one that you're probably hearing all about right now, it's only uh, available at least from ChatGPT if you're a paid uh, plus user, which costs about $20 a month. Um, and then you're limited to like, 25 queries every three hours or something like that. Um, there are other tools out there that hook into GPT-4. Um, I mean, there's probably been at least five that have launched in the last hour. So um, a lot of people are going over to the AI and you're finding a lot there. Um, no matter what version of GPT uh, you are using, that's the language model. It's still only looking at data from September of 2021. So just be mindful of that, especially as marketers. Uh, when we get into a few of these um, prompts that I'm sharing with you, you're going to want to go and make sure that that data is accurate because it's, it's not going to be the most up-to-date. It should give you a good starting point, but it's not going to be most up-to-date. Um, if you've ever seen the chat uh, GPT uh, UI, um, it is like any other chat interface. So each chat that you open up, it will remember that chat. It will not go and traverse the other chats that you have open, but it will remember that chat. So if I opened a chat 30 days ago and I talked about um, creating a, a keyword strategy for uh, a content uh, blog, um, that I wanted to create, it will still remember that. It will build on top of that as I continue to converse with it in that chat instance. Um, so just name those wisely. Um, some of my early ones had like random things and then I have to kind of go read through them to kind of make sure that I understood uh, what it is. Um, continue to build off of your uh, conversation. So um, if you start doing any type of searching, and I'd recommend looking at Twitter um, for uh, chat GPT resources, you'll find a ton out there. Um, I actually have a list. If you go to twitter.com forward slash AJ Morris, um, and then you look at my list, there's one that says interest, interested in GPT. Um, there's a ton of people out there. Um, they're all gonna use Notion. If, you've, if you're familiar with Notion, you can duplicate it and kind of get everybody's prompts. Um, but what you're gonna wanna do is utilize multiple prompts. You're not just gonna wanna ask it for, hey, write me a blog post about coffee. You're gonna wanna say, um, you know, maybe start with a keyword list first and you're doing, doing some SEO research. You're then gonna go and say, okay, I wanna, wanna talk about craft coffee. You're gonna further kind of refine what you're asking and then you can really start to get uh, good data. Um, all right, thanks for the follow, whoever just uh, followed me. Um, and then f the final one, I, th I think I mentioned this a couple times, just always check the output. Um, because that data is September of 2021, uh, because this thing is constantly learning, it's constantly evolving, um, you just wanna check the data because you wanna make sure that it's right. 
All right. So I think I've covered enough about AI. Let's actually talk about uh, the three prompts. So um, the first prompt I have is creating a marketing persona. So I'm going to piggyback off of um, Gary's talk where he mentioned uh, Dan Kennedy's um, marketing triangle. Um, audience persona, uh, ICP, uh, customer avatar. I think there's a, a term, depending on the industry that you're looking at, it's the person that you're trying to attract, right? The, the person that you're attracting to your business, to whatever you sell. Um, it's very hard to read on my phone, so I'm going to try to go from memory. Uh, but what this essentially does is, um, in each one of these, there is a word with a bracket, with like a square bracket around it. Uh, so the first one is uh, market. So what, what are you selling? Um, you know, who is your business? These are two that you're going to want to replace. Anything that you see in a bracket, you're going to want to replace with your own research. So that might mean doing some Google searches, asking ChatGPT some information, um, you know, doing, doing the due diligence to kind of refine what you're looking for. Um, once you've done that, replace um, market business. Um, and I think that's it. Uh, if you replace those, uh, what this out output will give you is a um, about a two-page document um, highlighting your persona. So it's going to give you demographical information, right? Age, um, are they married, are they single, um, where do they live, um, what is their job, what's their salary. Um, you're going to get all sorts of things. You can see uh, in the data point section that it's name, age, occupation, annual income, uh, marital status and family situation, and then location. Um, so good graphical information. I did this um, at least every time I've run, uh, run this, I have not come up with um, something that's close. It might be off a little bit, again, because of the, um, the, the data that it has available, like um, salary is one that, that I seem to be, it's a little lower, I think, with rising costs of just everything in the world. Salaries are a little higher, so just be aware of that. Um, but then you're going to be able to actually create, uh, or it will create, a user description. So uh, a key component in a user persona um, is having some sort of little story. Uh, and, and Nick's actually going to talk about stories here. Uh, I don't think it's exactly what he's talking about, but uh, you still want to have a story uh, about this person, right? And so this helps create that. Uh, it then goes into the psychographics and your shopping behaviors, and you can see the columns that are there. You can feel free to um, copy that, modify it if you aren't looking for all of that information, if you are looking for that information, uh, or you want to add more um, trial and error. Um, all right, so that's, that's a persona. Uh, I've used this now uh, six times. I've refined it a little bit. I haven't given you all of my secret sauce. Um, I, I would, I would uh, there's, there's, if you ever seen Prompt Engineers, uh, you can like make like three, four, five hundred thousand dollars a year in salary. Just you know, prompt engineering here. Uh, so think think about that. Um, this is where the money is in, in AI. It's not the AI itself. It's it's how do you prompt the AI to deliver value? Um, so so use this one if you're looking for a persona. Uh, it's a great one. Um, how many people run a blog or write content that are mapped towards keywords? Okay, a few of us. So if you do that, um, the second one is to help you create a SEO keyword map. 
Uh, now this one is, is, I will say this one, um, the, the prompt is the best uh, that I've seen it, um, at least with the data set that it has. So keep in mind, you're gonna have data from September 2021, so take the keyword list that it outputs and go run it through SEMrush, go run it through um, Surfer SEO, um, whatever keyword tool, if you just use Google, uh, Google Ads uh, Keyword Planner, use that uh, to just check your latest search volumes. It's not gonna be 100% accurate because it's a couple years old. Um, similar, similar in fashion, right? Um, it's got a few uh, variables that you need to go in and fill it in. So persona, keyword, um, the main problems that your uh, persona is um, struggling with, uh, what is the solution that your business is working with, um, and um, what is a primary keyword that you want to focus on. I think you can probably come up with one or two keywords that you're gonna focus on. If I'm running a coffee shop here, um, I probably want to attract people that like to drink coffee. Um, you know, so there's a couple keywords that you can use. Use this, check it again with those SEO tools I mentioned, um, and that should be uh, good. Uh, the last one is creating a landing page. So um, you're, you're training your intern, remember that. So if you read the first line, it says, you are a copywriting expert. You are a copywriting expert, right? That's the big thing. Um, and then you can give it a framework. So like I mentioned earlier, it knows about the available frameworks that are out there that, that professional copywriters use. Fill that in. Say, hey, I want you to create a, a landing page based off of the story brand framework. It will know it. Uh, do it off of the PSA. Do it off of uh, IDA. Um, you know, whatever other frameworks. So you can even ask ChatGPT before you give it this prompt, hey, what copywriting frameworks do you know? And it's gonna give you a list of everything that it knows. Um, and then you can utilize that to then build this. Um, the target audience, it, what I used is I've actually used all three of these prompts together. This is kind of giving away a little secret sauce, but uh, that target audience uh, prompt or, or um, fill in the blank here is that persona that we've already defined. So how do you, how do you tell ChatGPT, hey, go use that persona you just created as my target audience here. That's what you can do there. Then identify that main problem again. Um, give it a, a call to action that you're gonna have for that landing page, whether it's a download or um, maybe it's signing up for an event, um, whatever, whatever the case is, use that CTA. Uh, the final two are um, uh, company, so give it some information about your company, um, whether it's your own or the, the one that you're working for. Uh, give it the solution, so what, what does your company sell and how do you, uh, what, what's the solution that you're providing? and then um, give the solution one more time in a, in a little bit of abbreviated fashion, and then let it go. Um, you will be amazed at what this gives you. Now, um, if, you, if you kind of followed along and went through all three of those prompts, what you should have is a really good start to a campaign. Um, I struggle, I've always struggled, I probably will always struggle with the, the white screen. Uh, if you go and say, go and create a campaign, and I go and open up a Google Doc, and I look at a white screen, I'll probably be there for hours. But by having an intern, aka ChatGPT, uh, you can develop that, that fear of getting away from your white screen and actually getting something on paper really quick. Um, and it doesn't take a lot. So, thank you. Awesome, thank you, AJ. Um, we'll do a Q&A at the end, so for the sake of time, I wanna to get to Nick here, our final speaker. 
Uh, final speaker is Nick Pydeck. Nick is a good friend who I'm personally very thankful for. Uh, Nick co-founded Foster Coffee Company, company in Owasso. Uh, they also have a location in East Lansing. Um, that was in 2014, right, when you started it? Yeah. Um, for those of you who also don't know, I own this coffee shop, and I don't think that would have happened if it wasn't for Nick and his endless uh, inspiration and business advice. So thank you, Nick. Um, he's a talented marketer and gifted storyteller. So this evening, uh, Nick will be sharing with us a talk about storytelling titled Stop Selling and Start Telling Stories. Let's give him a round of applause. What Ethan didn't tell you is uh, he quit his job at Foster Coffee uh, and took the plunge to uh, get out of the corporate world and do his own thing. So, um, yeah, so um, I know uh, Gary asked this, but just so I can see. So how many of you are like an entrepreneur? You're running your own business, okay? How many of you are in the marketing field? Um, what kind of marketing fields? Social media? Social media? Web. Web, Okay. Anything else? Marketing? Okay. Search apps? All right. Cool. Um, so a little bit about me, as Ethan said. Uh, my name is Nick Pydeck, and uh, I like to frame it up as I'm a third-generation entrepreneur. So uh, my grandfather, his name was Douglas, uh, actually quit a successful job at Upjohn Company in Kalamazoo. He was a chemist and quit his job to start his own photography studio. And he took his knowledge of chemistry and applied it to something that you who are under 30 uh, would not know about, but it's called a dark room. And this is where they would develop things called film. Now film, no, I'm just kidding. Um, so he quit his job and him and his wife ran a studio out of their house. And so that's the environment my mother grew up in. My mother was a classically trained Broadway singer. So opera and Broadway, she went out to New York, didn't love it, moved back to Kalamazoo and started getting her business degree and took an elective class on flying um, at Western Michigan, which is in Kalamazoo and uh, had to get a flight instructor. So she started calling these names on a list and uh, the first person to answer the phone after several just rings uh, at the time was a guy named Mike Pydeck who eventually became my dad. Um, so because of that, uh, then the generation moved on. And then my parents were uh, in Pennsylvania and Kentucky and they actually started a business in Owasso called Flight One, which is a FBO or fixed base operation, which is a small airport uh, in Owasso. And so I grew up at uh, the Owasso Public Airport uh, watching Top Gun at age five. Um, not really understanding a lot of what was in that movie except for just the fighter jets. Um, and so I helped, and, would leave kindergarten and go out to the airport and just was around that environment. And so the reason I frame it up like that is because uh, one, it's great to have context, right? Like you guys probably made some judgments and you're like, who is this elastic ankle boot wearing military guy with the jean jacket? Like you already have your assumptions and presuppositions about who I am. Maybe you know about Foster and maybe you're like, I had a bad experience there. So this guy's a jerk, right? Um, or it's like, oh, I really like that place. This guy must be great. And so like, you have no idea about my history or my story. Um, or where I came from. And even that is like condensing, I'm 36 years old into basically the first two minutes
minutes um, of a lot, right? So why did I choose that? Why didn't I talk about me being a dad of uh, three, three beautiful young ladies, um, born and raised in Owasso? Like there are a bunch of avenues I can go. I chose that, right? Why? Because a lot of hands went up for CEO. So that's going to resonate with you. It's just doing what Gary talked about and AJ talked about. It's selecting a story based off of the audience. Because I could tell you a lot of stories. But I want to tell something that is relevant to you um, and is also relevant to me, something that I'm passionate about. So um, the reason why I, I wanted to frame this up about telling stories um, is really because it's where we get our meaning in life. I mean, that's such a, a broad statement, but we see life through stories. We don't see life through facts and figures, right? So you can say... Um, Data is really interesting, and AJ talked about that. Like, I love data. I'm really interested. Why were sales up in this? Or why did this video perform? Or why did those keywords work? Or why did that social media uh, post take off, right? But you're not just interested in the one million views. You're interested in the what? The why. Why did this video succeed? Why did this landing page work? Or the opposite, right? Why did this not work? Why did this campaign not go over well? because you're trying to wrap a story around it because it's actually how we see and interpret life. And one interesting example I like to think about is your eye, right? Your eye is actually one of the most interesting things on your body. Um, it's one of the most complex things in your body. It's second to your brain. And you're like, okay, why is this guy talking about stories and talking about eyeballs, right? Um, how many of you ever lost your sight? Nobody? Okay, that's awesome, right? But um, you don't sometimes appreciate what you have until it's gone, or you've lost a sense of some sort. Um, you really appreciate your eyes when it's in the middle of the night and you're trying to go pee and you break your toe on your bedpost or something and you're like, wow, I really wish I could see, right? Your appreciation for your eyes skyrocket because of the pain in your toe, right? Is that, am I the only person that's done that? Okay, right? Your appreciation for your retinas goes up immensely. Um, but actually your eye has over two million working parts to it. It's second to complexity to your brain. Um, and the reason their eye is so interesting is because it, what it does is it's a metaphor for a story because it just takes light. It's just taking light. Um, it's reflecting off of this post. You don't actually see the post. You actually see the light reflected off of that post. And that light goes into your eye, goes through a lens, um, and it's actually focused on your retina. And your retina is only a, it's just nerves. Like, I love telling this because it's just as like what, you see, right? You create a video and we take for granted that people are seeing a photo or a video or a post. And this is all happening every day, real time, whenever you're awake and your eyes are open. And so your brain actually interprets that light on your nerve into meaning. And that is what story is. It's not facts and data and products or like I could say, hey, buy this coffee. But that's just a thing. It's just a data point. It's, it's just a fact. What you do around that is where your brain comes in. And what marketing is, is crafting a story about what these things mean to you, to yourself, to other people, or what aspirationally what you want them to mean in the world. Um, so how many people here are married? Ooh, a lot of married people. Okay. Uh, for uh, the women here, how many of you got a diamond ring? Right? 
Okay, for those men, how many of you proposed with a diamond ring? Right? Almost. Did anyone not propose with a diamond ring? My parents actually, my dad proposed in an airplane with the headphones on because they were like fly single propellers. And it was so loud because you have to have the like headphones and the little mic th uh, to talk. And he wrote her a note and actually was just like one of those 25 cent like ring things and said, will you marry me? And she had to select A, B, C, D. And like one of them was like, yes, no, land this plane right now and whatever. So she would like had to answer the thing. But so my dad did not propose with the diamond, but I want to tell you about a little bit of marketing thing about diamonds. So before the 1940s, in America, diamonds were not a part of our traditional culture of proposing. Did anyone know that? Okay. Lemon knew that or Chris. So there's really a company um, called De Beers, which basically had a monopoly on the mining industry for diamonds. And they're like, hey, we own all these mines. How do we sell more diamonds? Who's our target customer? Um, so they decided that, hey, it doesn't matter if you buy it from the jeweler down the street or Metawar or whatever, because we own the diamonds. We just want to sell more diamonds. How do we do that? So they looked at the American market and were like, hey, here's the thing we can do. Let's just start crafting a story about how we sell more diamonds. So they hired a company. Um, it was an agency um, in the 40s. And how many know the slogan, diamonds are forever? Right? Very common. So it's a firm called IRE. You can look it up, uh, NWIRE. And uh, there was a copywriter that came up with that slogan, diamonds are forever. So literally, a company that sells a useless rock turned the market and changed the culture so now that everybody in here that got married or is thinking about getting married proposes with the diamond. So kudos to De Beers for manipulating all of you and myself into doing that. Um, that's so dumb, right? Um, so, and you know, ours is an interesting uh, agency. If you look at, you know, some of the top ones out there, you know, they did the be all that you can be in the army. How many of you remember that slogan? They did that as well. Um, so they just are, are working on shifting. And so the thing about stories is, is they're going to change people's perspective. They're going to change cultures, right? Like, I think we haven't seen that more powerfully than in the last three years with COVID um, and Trump, like how powerful stories are in dividing people and bringing people together. So stories are influencing people all the time. And what I like to think about is you can use that same mechanism just like any tool, right? You can take a car and go drive it into a crowd of people and take a wonderful bit of engineering, um, whether it's a, a battery uh, electric vehicle or it's a combustion engine, you can turn that into whatever vehicle you want it to do. Um, so what I like to think about and what I personally have chosen to do with story and marketing um, is really wrapped around just understanding what I want the world to be like. And so there's two kinds, I'll just frame it up, there are certainly more, but you think about like manipulative marketing, which is like, hey, I've got this thing, I wanna sell more stuff, certainly. Um, nobody here would probably turn, turn away $100 or more cash. Um, but at the same time, there's a way to do that and change culture. And so the second part of it is transformational. Um, there's a really interesting book. Um, 
spacing on his name, but it's called leadership. And he talks about transformational leadership versus transactional leadership. And I've taken the same principles towards business and marketing. It's like you can sell a cup of coffee and make it transactional, but when Maddie back there smiles and she knows your name and walks in and you get to tell her about your day, like what's really happening there is transformational. You're building uh, a relationship or Lemon going into the East Lansing Foster, um, which I just met like last year and we just struck up a conversation and like, where are you from? Blah, blah, blah. And then he runs into Michaela up in Ludington. And so like, I hear these stories about our customers. Like there's something going on there besides transactional, which is like, buy this really expensive cup of coffee to sit down and work on your laptop for your education or whatever it is that you're doing for your job. And so story can be a manipulative thing. It can be selling more diamonds from the monopoly that you have. It can be help you get elected. Um, but really, it starts with just understanding what is the meaning. And so the framework that I, I think about is starting with yourself, right? Is if to really get to transformational storytelling, you have to start with who you are. Why are you here? You know, Simon Sinek did that TED Talk years and years ago about start with why, right? And then he wrote a book about it. Um, he's just taking these principles of story. Um, Gary talked about this. Like, what's the audience? What are you trying to sell? What's the why behind it? Um, but you have to start with yourself. It wasn't until my probably late 20s I started just thinking about where did I come from? Like, what was my family history? Um, 10 years ago, at 26, I probably would not have been able to articulate the story of my grandfather and my parents because I was just focused on myself, my education, my world, my life, my truth, right? But the problem is with our generation postmodern and post-postmodernism where we just create meaning out of the figment of whatever we want is that's not how stories work. Like that's narrative, and narrative is different than story. It's narrative is a splice, it's a smaller portion. A narrative would be the equivalent of one episode in an in a eight season series. The storyline is the whole series, narrative is one episode. But how many of you have ever watched one episode? It's not the whole thing, right? Like it can be really powerful and impactful, but what really gets you hooked is when you keep watching The Office over and over and over again, because it's got a great story. Um, so, Turn that off. Um, you have to start with yourself, which is where did you come from? What's your arc? You know, there's a, a famous saying, well, I don't know how famous it is, but um, it's actually quoted back to the 1600s, which is Lord Salisbury. And he said, we stand on the shoulders of giants. Not that our stature or understanding is greater than theirs, but it's because we stand on their shoulders that we actually get to see further into the future. And so it's understanding that it's not just me and Foster and I started this company and well, cool. What I, what I learned about Owasso, my hometown where I'm from, is that people have been doing that for generation after generation after generation. And I'm actually not that special. And like a news flash for you tonight is like you're actually not that special in the grand scheme of starting a business or doing marketing because there's millions and millions of you. I'm not saying you as an individual are not special or important or of infinite worth. You certainly are. But what I'm just saying is like you are part of a larger story than yourself. What did your parents do to get you here? Or a father figure or a mother figure, if that's part of your story. Or what happened in St. John's 50 years ago for this building or 100 years ago, right? Like, 
this coffee shop wouldn't exist unless somebody laid those bricks. And who's the bricklayer that laid that? And what's his story, right? Stories woven into everything. And it can give you a sense of appreciation, just like your eyeballs, right? You appreciate them when you stub your toe in the dark room is you can start to sense what is the greater story here when you start with yourself. And not just like a, it's all about me, the narcissistic view of like, I'm the most important thing, but you actually pause for like five freaking minutes and just think about that other people had to lay the foundation for that. And you get that context. So start with yourself. Why am I here? And then as far as an entrepreneur or the company you're in, the second thing is like, why am I doing this thing, right? Like I like to frame it up for every new hire at Foster, um, which I uh, onboard and we just share the story of why we started Foster so that every person behind the counter knows why we're here as a company. Because I like to view it as a company is technically, in the eyes of a government, another entity. It's separate from you if you have a a company or whatever structure you want, an LLC or an S-Corp or a C-Corp or a whatever it is, the government views that as a separate entity. And so I like to view it as like a company is heading in a certain direction. And just like you as a person, when you go through that self-discovery of like, why are you here? How did you get to where you're at right now? Companies should think about their framework that way. So why did you start this company? If you're an entrepreneur, what's your why? Why did you start this coffee company? Why did you start this marketing company? Why do you do what you do? What's interesting about Ethan is I've loved seeing his arc over the, the years because he used to be like an all things marketing guy to everybody. He's like, yeah, I'll write your, I'll do your website and I'll do this and I'll do that and I'll do this. And then over time he was like, you know what? I'm just doing video. Like he found his why and like he's like, this is what I love doing. This is what I'm passionate about. This is what I really want to do. And he started to narrow that focus. So just like that principle, right? Right offer to the right audience, to the right mechanism is understanding that about your company. And you can do that if you work for another company or you're a marketing uh, entrepreneur serving other companies is ask them those questions. You'll get rich uh, data sets. You'll get some really great creative briefs if you prompt them with those right questions. Like, go back to why you started, right? Like, why did you do all this stuff? Um, Jason and I have been friends for a long time, and I started working with him about uh, three years ago, and one of the first questions I asked him was like, why did you start this cybersecurity company? What's your why? Right, and we like had a little whiteboard session, a little sticky note session at his house. Uh, I broke the law and like left my house and went to his house, uh, or whatever the law was. And we like had a marketing session, um, but it was just like, what's your why, right? Like, I want to understand this company. I want to understand why you started cybersecurity. Like, what is it? And you distilled it down to it's like, hey, I saw this friction between IT and keeping things safe. IT is supposed to help us achieve our mission, but the more IT stuff you have, the more complicated becomes to get secure. And so I want to bridge that gap. So it's like, okay, cool. This is your why. You have to get the why of the, yourself, the why of your company. Um, and then you have to understand the why of your customers. So if you start with those three things and you get to your customers, what are their perceptions? This is where Gary just did it so great. I, I love, we didn't plan these talks, but it's really interesting how they kind of weave together. Um, which is like, who is your audience? Who are you talking to? Like, what's their why, right? What is the perceptions that they walk through life with? Because you can tell your story all day long, 
Um, and those of you who are married who will under, understand this a lot better than others, but I've literally had conversations with my wife where I was like, okay, we talked about this thing. I feel like we're on the same page. And we actually say to each other, okay, you're good. Yes, I'm good. Yes. Okay, great. And then we leave and a period of time goes by. And then we're like, yeah, remember when I said this thing and you said that thing? It's like, yeah, but I thought you meant this. And, but no, no, I actually said this, this is what I meant. So like you leave thinking you're on the same page, but you are definitely not. You are talking at different uh, wavelengths. One of the things I like to ask, and you can use this in a brief, um, but we use it internally as our teams at Foster is like, uh, and I didn't coin this phrase and you can modify it, but Nate Brown talks about it. It's like, what does, what does finished look like to you? Like, what does complete look like to you? So you can stop thinking like, this is what I think the finished product or the marketing thing is. Ask them, what does a finished product look like to you, right? Or if you're sitting in a brief, say like, what would a successful campaign look like to you? What would a successful video look like to you? Because success is defined however you want to define it. Um, to me, success is being able to go home and see my kids every night. It's not building an empire of a hundred or a thousand coffee shops uh, if it pulls me away from that. That's what I've defined as success. Um, so start with your why, start with your company why, and then understand what your audience is, right? Um, I have the unique privilege and challenge of having a coffee shop in a t small town of 15,000 people uh, in Owasso which is a very different demographic than East Lansing with a large student population, about 15,000 resident population that lives there, tucked into a very busy and complicated uh, business ecosystem um, in the shadow of one of the largest universities uh, in our country. So understanding who that audience is and at different times, which is slightly different in the summer than it is in the fall, um, which is inversed from Owasso because the summers there are crazy. Um, but uh, just understanding that helps us better position that story. And I'll, and I'll leave you with this one kind of uh, phrase that we've distilled down uh, with Foster. So, you know, one of the things that's really, here's the data point, right, which is that now, I could say that 75% of all of our company expenses at Foster Coffee stay within the state of Michigan, right? And so, like, already when I say that, some of you are thinking, I don't care. Um, why is it only 75%? Or like, oh, wow, that's cool. But, like, what does that really even mean? And so, one of the things that we actually like to frame up, because our vision statement, and our, we have it on every wall, and we will have it on every wall to every foster, um, is to foster community through coffee. That's why we exist. That's our company's why. How do we do that? Well, we make coffee, certainly. We also make food, and we answer people's questions and give them good dinner recommendations, and we talk to them and let them cry at our registers when they're dealing with the trauma of a school shooting or they're coming in from the farmer's market. Like, it's all of those things, right? Because our why isn't a cup of coffee in a transaction, it's we're fostering community. And that's gonna look very different based off of the time, the environment, the zeitgeist, uh, all of those things. So if you look at any one of our, our, our cups, we actually have this. And so uh, one of the things we say on there is we believe businesses uh, should profit local communities, not distant shareholders. Now, 
part of that is a little dig at Starbucks and publicly traded companies, um, but also is just framing it up that like, hey, we just really believe there's power in that dollar staying locally than just leaving your community. Now you can interpret that as a, a dig against Starbucks or you could uh, think about it as just like, hey, how do these companies affect things distantly and how do they affect things uh, locally? And so we frame it up with this story to say like, every purchase you make supports the communities we serve. So it's building into this idea that, hey, you're buying a cup of coffee. And if you could visualize a cup that when you take, you get a cup of coffee that 75% of that cup is actually staying right there in the communities that you love. So whether you're in Owasso or you're in East Lansing, like that money just stays here locally because it's tied into our vision, right? So it's one way to frame up a story because we know, I know why I did it. I wanted to, to invest in my community. That was my why. I wanted to take the 36 or, or at that time, 28 years I lived in Owasso. And, and I realized, wow, I'm not the only entrepreneur in the world that's ever started a coffee company before. Um, and realized that many other people have done that. So I said, what can I give back to Owasso? Um, so it started with my why, our company, what do we want to do with coffee? We want to create a space, um, not just unintentionally where community happens, but what does that mean, right? How do we actually do that? Our why of getting involved with other businesses, nonprofits, the government, um, all of the messy part of running a business. Um, and then thirdly, like, how do we make our purchase decisions? Like, what does that mean for us when we buy cups or we buy straws or lids? Like, where could we get those, right? Um, so all of that framed up into one little statement about where our, where our heart is from fostering community. Um, and so that's a lot to put on to a single cup, right? And it's, there's a lot more complexity to it. But I always go back to this well. And it makes it really easy to write marketing. It makes it really easy for me to have a North Star. Because I go back to, is this aligned with my vision for what I want out of my life? Because I understand my why. Does this, under, does this align with our company and where we're headed as a company? Like, I say this often. Fostering community through coffee is the thing that gets me up in the morning that I'm super excited to go do. And it's also the thing that keeps me up at night. Because I go, are we really doing that? Or is that just a slogan on a wall? Because to me, if it's a slogan on a wall, then it's not aligned with my vision and it's not aligned with the vision of what the original company was. And I don't want to have any part of that. So it helps me guide that. And so from there, we can think about our customers. What do our customers care about, right? How do we listen to them and understand them um, and serve them? which is a great opportunity because you can't serve a community that you don't listen to. So our baristas are the eyes and ears of what's happening. I'm sure you, Maddie can tell you more about what's happening in St. John's um, than most people because you can go to any barber. I don't know if you heard this phrase. If you want to know a community, go to the bartenders, barbers, and baristas, and you'll certainly hear a lot about what's happening there. Um, so we just take that information to help us better serve them. So to frame that all up, you know, the reason why I chose the, the third generation entrepreneur um, is just utilizing that principle, understanding who you guys are as an audience. I know my why. And the beautiful thing about this is, is if people don't like you or like your product or like your company or like you, you are going to sleep so much better because you just know your why and you're not, you're not, 
you're not threatened when Waypoint Coffee opens up 30 minutes away. What will happen? Ethan comes to our coffee shop. What if he steals our secrets? What if he, what if he has the same coffees as us? What if they have the same machine as us? Like, I'm not worried about that. I love Ethan, and I love what they're doing here because it's like I know my why, and he's got his own, and so it just, it'll help you when you're marketing to just get clear, to be concise, and to not fret and freak out when other people are trying to duplicate it. So with that, I'll close it up. All Things Video is a podcast produced by Sleekfire. Sleekfire is a video production company based in St. John's, Michigan. For more information, visit sleekfire.io and make sure to check out our blog for a large collection of helpful resources.